Yes, yes. Omega Watts in the house. Now, now let me set the table. Now, now, now let me set the table. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you can make it. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you can make it. Any questions to ask Table fam, how are we feeling tonight? Hey, if I have not had a chance to meet you, my name is Isaac. I'm the young adult pastor here at First Orlando and part of our table leadership team. And man, we've been going through a message series called Messy Church, where we've been studying Paul's letter uh, to the church in Corinth. And today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So if you have Bibles, you can look there. It'll also be on the screen here in a second. And if I were to summarize uh, the chapter with one question, if I were to summarize the entire chapter, it's 11 verses, with one question, here's the question. It's also the title of this message. And here's the question, here's the title of the message. Where's the line? Where's the line? Turn to your neighbor, ask them, where's the line? Where's the line, right? Where's the line when it comes to behavior? Where's the line when it comes to our Christian freedom? Where's the line? And whenever we're asking this question, there's kind of two extreme answers. Because you have over here, the extreme answer over here, um, this is what we're going to call sectarianism. That's a big word. Sectarianism. And what sectarianism is, is basically like hardcore fundamentalism, where where sectarianists would say, hey, we're going to completely restrict ourselves from engaging in culture. Culture is defined as like the general population uh, of like, what is the general general population value, what is the general population practice, so sectarianism, so think about it, right, and you know, you know sectarianists, right, um, d- no movies, no TV, no streaming, no secular music, right, secular music is what sectarianists call it, most of you would probably call it good music, but they would call it uh, uh, secular music, right, um, we, hey, we don't associate ourselves as non-Christians, see, the world is bad, we are good, so we're just going to completely remove ourselves from the world. We're going to completely separate ourselves, when it, with, and we're going to live with a lot of like rules and morality and religion. Do you guys know some sectarianists or kind of get the general idea? Okay. Over here, it's the opposite, right? So this is syncretism, another big word. See, what syncretists is like the exact opposite of separatists, right? Um, see, syncretists, it's basically like all rules are fair game. There is no distinction between how Christians live and how non-Christians live, right? With syncretists, you fully embrace the, the values of the general population, the culture that you're in, you fully embrace the practices, so there really is no um, distinction, right? So for me, I grew up sectarian light, okay? Sectarian light. So, so for me, like, there was no, like, no dancing, no rated R movies, uh, no, no cussing, no secular music, right? So that's, so I viewed Christianity now as a bunch of things that I could not do, right? Because for me, Christianity growing up, a lot of it was just like, do's and don'ts, do this, don't do this, and it was a lot of don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. I remember I was 16 years old, and I went to like a, I was at high school, like leadership development, um, overnight camp, and the last night they had a dance where everyone is having the best time just dancing, like, and I'm over here in the corner in my little sectarian life, sectarian light life, just like, not dancing. Because I'm like, I'm a Christian. I don't dance. They're dancing. Okay, I'm a, that's fine. They're not Christians, but I'm a Christian. I don't dance, right? And the music's like, and I'm just like, trying not to bob my head, right? And then, y'all, they start playing the Macarena. And I'll have this conflict because, like, okay, I'm a Christian, I don't dance, but man, I'm also Latino. So, so then, like, my hips don't lie, and they just start going and macarena I'm like, no, and I just feel, like, convicted the whole time I'm doing the macarena. I'm like, no, right? Because that's what my sectarian light, not fully, but light upbringing um, taught me to do. So then in school, right, then I would look at my Christian friends, air quotes on Christian, my Christian friends, and they just overall looked to be having way more fun than me. Right? They were out doing things, they were partying, they were having a good time. And I'm like, man, well, what's right? Because I thought I was being a good Christian by not doing anything. And they're calling themselves Christians. And they're doing everything, right? And I'm like, what's right? And I just didn't know um, how, how to process this, right? And, and this is typically what we think of when we think of Christianity, because we think it's one or the other. We think it's the incredibly um, conservative, fundamental, legalistic, that's how to be a Christian, just saying no to everything. Or we think like, oh, the cool Christians, right? The ones that like, you don't put a lot of rules on it. Hey man, it's a relationship, it's not religion, right? Like that, that kind of Christian, right? So these are typically the two views, and, and like, okay, like, are these the only two views? How do we think about this? And he, here's how to process. I found a pastor that said this that I thought was very helpful, and he said this. He said, Jesus prayed against both. Jesus prayed against sectarianism. Jesus prayed against syncretism. Because here's what he said. Don't leave the world 
and don't be just like the world. We need to live in the world. And here he said this. He said, go as far as you can to participate in culture knowing that some things are sin and you have to draw a line. So the question is, okay, if that's true, where is the line? Where do we draw the line? If, if we're saying, hey, this is an extreme view of, um, uh, of separatism, separatism is an extreme view, um, and this over here of syncretism is an extreme view, so where is the line in the middle? Where do we draw the line of behavior of Christian freedom? Can I make it practical for you guys? Are you all tracking with me? Okay, make it practical. Do I go out or do I not go out? My friends are inviting me out on a Friday night. Do I go out or do I not go out, right? Do I have sex or do I not have sex? Okay, well, what about just like messing around, right? Is that okay? Can Christians do that? Okay, what about this? Um, can I still dress cute? I like to look good. I don't want to dress like a nun. Can I look cute, right? Um, or about, hey, can I still get in trouble with my boys? Right? Is that, is that okay? Can Christians do that? Like, where's the line? How about this? Uh, can I cuss? Is that okay? Some Christians cuss, some don't. Like, where's the line with cussing? Um, do I have to vote Republican now? Like, does that just, like, just being a Christian means you vote Republican? Do I have to vote Republican now? Um, hey, how much skin is too much skin in movies when I'm watching movies and media, right? I really like Bridgerton, right? Like, how much skin is too much skin? Um, hey, well, what about not movies but books? Like, can I read erotic novels and romance, right? Can I, can I read that stuff? Uh, what about the cigars, hookahs, tattoos, piercings? Uh, what about this? Buying non-GMO food, right? Is that pr- processing that? How about this? Can I wear Shein in other fast fashion? I have a lot of more. There's a viral video going around on TikTok around, like, that they may be exploiting, like, child, but it's a conspiracy, so nobody knows if it's true or not, right? Can I, can I wear Shein? Can I not? How about this? What about straws? What is the Christian position on straws? Is it paper straws? Is it plastic straws, right? Uh, I don't want to kill turtles, and I think we should care for the world. However, man, if you ever had a, plastic, a paper straw, it's terrible. How do we process these questions? So the question remains, you guys track it with me, where's the line? You guys following? Where's the line? So the Corinthians, they were asking this exact question as well, and they were trying to navigate this question, but here's their issue. It's very strange. We're going to read it. It's very strange, but this is the issue that's coming up for the church in Corinth, and it's this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, it'll be on your screens here, where he says, Now concerning food offered to idols. Now concerning food offered to idols. This is the question where they're asking, where is the line? And, but for you, you may, Isaac, you don't know my story, man. That's what I'm struggling with. Hey, we'll pray for you. If this is your issue, we'll pray for you. I don't think it is, but it may be. We'll pray for you after. Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Verse 2. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Verse 4. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that An idol has no real existence, and there is no God but one. Verse 5, for although there may be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there were many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and from whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Okay, the chapter continues. We'll pause right there. Um, this requires a lot of context. I know what's going on. We're like, wait, food offered to idols? How is this relevant? Isaac, you said, where's the line? I don't see it in here. Let me help you. Let me help you. Okay. Most Corinthians did not believe in the Christian God. Most Corinthians believed in, in pagan gods. So they did not believe in one true God in Jesus. They believed in a multitude of gods. All right. And they, so what what they would call gods, Christians at that time and today would call a false god, or as Paul calls it, an idol. So from a Christian worldview, the Corinthians, they are worshiping these false gods. They are worshiping idols, right? And they thought that these gods, these idols, they would help them attain what they wanted in life, which was, which may sound familiar to you, sex, money, and power, and fame, and comfort. The Corinthians, these these are the things that they wanted. And they were like, okay, these gods, these idols, they're going to help. If I just worship them, they'll help kind of give me these things um, that I want. As well as, so not only were the, the Corinthians, um, uh, did, they, did they worship false gods, but they also, they love to party. 
they loved their social life, right? So, so with their social life, they would, like, rent out these temple rooms, like, very similar to, like, today, honestly. Like, they would, like, put in an event request, right? And then, like, the company would come back, like, yes, you can rent out a room here at our temple. And they're like, great. So they would rent out the room. Um, and then for, for weddings, for childbirth, for birthdays, for their version of quinceañeras and sweet 16s, um, election victories, funerals, they would just rent out these rooms for these parties. So now let's put these two things together. At these parties, they would have food, specifically meat. And this meat would have been sacrificed to an idol. Now, from a Corinthian worldview, from a Corinthian perspective, it's not like it's so cultural to eat meat that has been sacrificed to an idol. It was so commonplace, right? So like meat equaled, it had been sacrificed to an idol, right? So as well as um, the, in Corinth, the way that you advance in society, kind of similar to today in one sense, from a, um, is that you would just network and social life. So if you did not participate with the Corinthians um, in their social life of eating food that has been sacrificed to an idol, you were hurting your social status and your social life. You were also hurting your economic status, and there was no way for you to advance. Okay, now you can see that so so culturally meats equaled idol worship it was the same thing culturally like it just they just went hand in hand so the question for the corinthians is okay so where's the line can we eat meat or do we not eat meat what do you guys think do you eat meat or do you not eat meat aha it's a trick question it depends right it's great so, so do you, but this is the, the tension that they're wrestling with. See, but the Corinthian Christians, the Christians that Paul is writing to, they felt they had a pretty good answer. And here was the answer of the Christians um, that Paul was writing to. Here's what they said. They said, why are we even asking the question, eat the meat? What's the big deal? Like, why are we asking this question? Like, meat, it's delicious, it's good. Have you ever had meat? It's amazing. You just eat the meat. Right? So Christians, well, everybody, but also Christians, loved eating meat. Why? Have you guys ever had meat? It's delicious. They thought that back then, too. It's delicious. Just good food, right? Unless you're vegetarian, right? And you have moral qualms. We'll talk about that later, right? So like the Christians, they loved eating meat, and meat was served everywhere. If you wanted protein, or animal protein, um, you, would just ha- you would have to eat meat. And so meat was served in, in dining halls. Meat was served in private dinners and homes. And meat was also served at the meat market. So even if you're like, man, I'm not, if you're a Christian and you're like, man, I'm not participating in pagan worship, I just want to cook myself a steak. Even if you were just go by yourself and go purchase this food, purchase a steak at the meat market, there was a very, very high chance that it had already been sacrificed to an idol. You're like, okay, so just eating meat, period, there was, a, there was a consciousness of going, do I eat this meat that has been sacrificed to an idol or, no, but he, or not? But here's what the Corinthians thought. They thought, man, we're so smart, though. Paul, we're so smart. We know exactly what to do. And here's what the Corinthians said. They're like, idols aren't real. Paul, do you know idols are fake? Idols aren't real, so we can eat the meat because it doesn't matter. Idols are fake. We can just eat the meat that's been sacrificed to an idol because they're sacrificed to a fake thing that doesn't even matter. So we just eat the meat as well as they would say, hey, there is no spiritual value in meat. Meat is meat. There's no spiritual meat and unspiritual meat. It's just meat. Just eat the meat, right? This is what the Christians are saying. So here's what Paul, how Paul responds to these Christians that he's writing to. Here's what he says. He, 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 he both slightly, with air quotes, slightly affirms them, but like changes how they're thinking about it, but also strongly disagrees with them. And also practically tells them how to think through where's the line for the Corinthians, how to eat meat or not to eat meat, or for, and it helps us, give us principles on participating in things that we don't know if we should be participating in them. You guys tracking with me? So what did Paul tell the Corinthians on where's the line? Verse 6, here's what he says. Here's where he kind of slightly, like with an asterisk, kind of agrees with them because they kind of get this right, but he just wants to make sure they get this right, where he said in verse 6, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So here's, here's what he says. He, he reminds them of the one true God, which is Jesus Christ. And this is his starting point. He's like, hey, remember Jesus, our Lord, 
our Savior, our King, and Jesus, his birth, his birth, his death, his life, he, that he lived, and as he lived, like we want to follow our lives and live our lives exactly the way that Jesus lived his life. So we want to follow Jesus and affirm that he is Lord, as well as, hey man, Corinthians, you're, you're worshiping idols trying to get to your deepest satisfaction. I'm worshiping Jesus to get to my deepest satisfaction, because I know that any, any going or, or aim towards sex, money, power, fame, comfort, any version of that, hey, look, I've done that before. That doesn't leave me happy. It actually leaves me devastated. So whenever I put my new life in Jesus, now you know what I get? I get peace and I get joy. This is what the Christians wanted, right? So they know that Jesus was the true source of peace and joy. So, so Paul is reminding them of what they already know this. Paul is reminding them of the true source of peace and joy, that not to, um, to stay away from false idols and reminding replacing what's false with what's true. And then he goes to verse 8. He says, in light of all that, verse 8, he says, food will not commend us to God, or we are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. He's basically saying, hey, look, food is food. Food doesn't take you to God. Food doesn't keep you from God. You're no better if you eat. You're no better if you don't eat, right? So you're saying, hey, there, there's some freedom here. So he's saying that, hey, in one sense, there is freedom in eating meat. Why? Because you're a Christian. You're worshiping Jesus, right? You're not worshiping idols. So there's free, meat, meat. Food is food, right? There's nothing spiritual about feet. Food is food. And then he says this in verse 7, though. He's like a big butt. Where he says, however, however, in verse 7, he says, however, not all possess this knowledge. Not everybody um, uh, thinks about it in this way. He says, not all, and really what he means is this, not all Christians feel the freedom to eat meat. You guys want to know why? Why don't Christians, if that's true, if there's one true God, right, and if we can eat meat, don't eat meat, it doesn't matter, why is it that some Christians don't feel comfortable eating meat? Why is it? Let's look at, let's keep reading in verse 7, where he says this. He says, But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. So Paul's saying, some people, some Christians, don't eat meat because they have weak consciences. And here's why. Because they're new Christians. And if they're new Christians, that means they had a life before they became a Christian. They had former days, right? Uh, we, we may call it their BC days, before Christ days, right? Before they became a Christian. And in their BC days, they were idol worshipers. They would just eat meat and they would worship idols and pagan, and, and pagan, pagan stuff. Uh, and so eating meat, this, even, eating meat reminds them so strongly of their days before they became a Christian. So they cannot in good conscience eat meat because they don't know what's right and what's not right. Guys, and many of you know this, and this is why this text is so relevant. Because so many of us here at the table, we remember when we're, before we became Christians. We remember those days right? And we remember, man, I was doing stuff. I was participating in things. I was doing things with people. I was participating in inactivities. And that life, it left me into utter, it led me into utter despair and devastation. And then Jesus found me. And after Jesus found me, now I want to follow Jesus. And as I'm following Jesus, I just want to give everything up for my old life. And I just want to follow Jesus in a new life, right? So I just want to completely take off my old life and put on this new life that Jesus wants to give me, right? And then my old life was eating meat. And I don't want to do that anymore. I want to follow Jesus. That meat needs to go. I'm not eating meat, right? Fair, right? And it's, for some, it's not meat. For some, it's, you know, partying, going out, alcohol, sex, whatever it may be for you. They're like, man, this is the life that I was living. And I don't want to live that life anymore because I want to follow Jesus, but now, so isn't that like so like honorable? Isn't that cool for people to, have, to think that way? Like, man, I'm willing to sacrifice and give up whatever I want to give up so I can just wholly, with totality, with the deep parts of my soul, follow Jesus. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. Okay, so now imagine if we're here at the table and you're that way and you were, man, I don't want to eat meat anymore. Then you're here at the table Right? And then some people were like, do you want some meat? And you're like, hey, look, I don't, eat, I don't eat meat. I used to eat meat. I don't eat meat anymore. And they're like, what's the big deal? Eating meat. One true God, Jesus. Just eat this meat. Come on, just eat it. It's not a big deal. Just eat it. Right? You're like, ooh. So, not, 
some people are earnestly asking, where's the line? And out of their conviction of following Jesus and trying to discern what's true and not true in the depths of their soul for their behavior and stop doing some things and start doing other things, right? Um, they're going to be, try to be as earnest as they can and probably draw the line a little closer away from freedoms in order to not have their soul um, defiled with eat meeting. And here's the thing. It's not, as we think through a weak conscience, I don't want you to think of, oh, there's weak Christians and there's strong Christians. I'm a strong Christian and I'm not like those weak Christians. So I can do whatever I want because I'm a strong Christian and those weak Christians, they really shouldn't do much because they're still weak and they're still babies and they're still figuring it out. That's not at all what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying, he's speaking to a very specific issue. So in the matter of a weak conscience, all of us have a weak conscience about some things. For the Corinthians, it was eating meat. For us, it's different things that may come up where we just have to admit, hey, I have an incredibly weak conscience in this area. You know what it is for me? For Isaac, my weak conscience? I'll give you a couple. For me, I have a very competitive heart. Very competitive heart. To the point to where I view a lot of my relationships and a lot of different organizations and how I live my life and the means of competition if I'm winning or if I'm losing. So with, you know what that means practically? I'm scrolling on Instagram or old Facebook, old school, right? And I see before I had bought a house, I see somebody that had bought a house. And you know what my heart? It's got filled with jealousy and envy. I'm like, man, they bought a house. Ah, oh, it just filled my heart, right? I have a very weak conscience when it comes to real estate and property, right? Or even, even in ministry, man, I see other churches and other ministries that are killing it, right? And then for me, like, man, in certain seasons, I just had to like, you know what? They're doing amazing things. God's doing amazing things in that city. For me, I just have a weak conscience, and I'm still working on my competitive heart, and I'm still working on that. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to unfollow. I, I play blessing with them. I hope they're doing amazing things. Just for me and my weak conscience, I know, just for my soul, I just need to unfollow, and I can work on the competitiveness in my heart. You guys track it with me? Okay, what about this too, man? I know my sexual history. So when I'm on social media, when I'm watching things, I have to abstain so far from anything sensual because it's going to start triggering things. I know my heart. I know my flesh. It's going to start triggering things in me that's going to cause some thoughts that I don't want to think. And I'm trying to follow Jesus, and I don't want to think the thoughts that I used to think. I want to think healthy thoughts. I want to think through pure, pure thoughts. And whenever things come up um, on social media, on TV, wherever, just around, whatever things may be, I need to remove myself so that I don't fall into the thoughts of try, just earnestly trying to follow Jesus, right? I have a weak conscience when it comes to that. Does that make sense? So now, that may, some of those may be for you. They may be different things for you. But my point is this. Don't think of it as weak Christians and strong Christians. I want you to think of it, hey, with specific issues, some of us have very weak conscience, consciousness, and some of us just don't have a weak consciousness where we feel the freedom to exercise whatever that thing is, knowing that it's not going to lead us to sin. So we have freedom in that way. With all that being true, what does Paul tell them to do, right? If that's true, what does Paul tell them to do? Verse 9, where he says this. He says, But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak, right? Here's Paul saying, hey, look, when you interact with Isaac, make sure that the right of yours, whatever right you have, doesn't become a stumbling block for to the weak or whoever you may be whoever may be weak conscious, specifically when it comes to me, right? Don't wave your freedom in the face of someone who may be weak in that area. Verse 10, for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged? And if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols, and so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother from whom Christ died. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, hey, look, if somebody has a weak conscience when it comes to eating meat, and then they see you just participating, um, um, just, uh, just freely just eating meat, right? And then they're like, oh, wait, you mean I can eat meat? Here's what they're going to think. Oh, you mean I can worship idols? I can be a Christian and worship idols? Because in their mind, in the mind of the Corinthians, eating meat equals idols. So if they see you eating meat, they're going to think, hey, it's completely okay to worship idols. I'm a Christian. I can worship idols now. Great. It makes it really easy because I don't have to figure out how I, how, how I need to navigate this. He's saying, hey, that weak weak person is destroyed. The brother from whom Christ died. In verse 12, where he says this, thus, and here's what Paul calls this. Paul doesn't call this dumb. Paul doesn't call this a boo-boo. Paul doesn't call um, eating meat in front of your weak brother. He doesn't call it like, hey, you should, probably shouldn't do that. Here's what Paul calls it. Paul calls it thus sinning 
against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, and this is even worse, you sin against Christ. Y'all, helping people who have a weak conscience when it comes to specific things, if we have no regard in how we behave around them, if we're calling ourselves a Christian and they are calling themselves a Christian and we have no regard for how we behave and we don't care where they're coming from and we do whatever we want to do, however we wanted it, and we just don't care about other people, Paul's saying, hey, that's sin. I wanted to view that as sin. Is there grace for sin? Yes, but it's sin. We need to say that. It is sin, right? Causing your brother to stumble is sin. In verse 13, where he says this, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, here's what he says. Here's what Paul says. I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Here's how Paul's living. Where's the line? Paul draws his line with meat eating. Here's where he draws it. Here's where Paul draws it. Here's the big idea for tonight. Loving your friend means, at times, limiting your freedom. Loving your friend means, at times, limiting your freedom. Now, some of us, we hear that, right? I feel like I've done, we've kind of made a compelling argument for the statement to be true, right? And you hear that, and you still sense that, and you're like, ugh, and you hate it. And here's why you probably hate it. Because some of us think, I need to be 100% authentically me all the time. I'm not changing for anybody. Isaac, I live in America, the land of the free. Bald eagle screech, ah, America, let's go. You're saying I can't be free? I can't exercise my freedom? You know how many military people died for my freedom? I'm exercising my freedom. I'm going to be me all the time. I'm not changing who I am for anybody. Jesus accepts me just as I am. You need to accept me just as I am. I'm not changing. And what Paul is saying is, hey, look, loving your neighbor, loving your friend, means at times limiting your freedom. And to that, I would say a a couple things in in kindness, but in truth. Um, If that's you, um, you may have a false sense of where your true identity comes from. Because you think it's a behavior thing of, of like how you present yourself and behaviors and actions that you do where your identity lies and you're saying you're not going to change your identity. I don't want you to change your identity either, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your identity in Jesus, not in your behavior. And when you put your identity in Jesus, not your behavior, your behavior can change depending on context, right? With wisdom, right? That's what wisdom is, says. As well as if abstaining from a thing makes us inauthentic, is it possible that it's an idol in our life? If living a freedom, limiting our freedom in a certain area makes us feel inauthentic, is it possible that it's an idol in our life? So the question remains, or keep talking about tonight, is where is the line? And here's where I want to help you. Table, I love you. I love you. I want, I want to be as helpful as, you, as I can to you, right? That way, here's why. Because I want us to be as loving as possible as we can toward each other, right? We're saying we're a spiritual family. We're saying we're a table. It's up, table fam. Woo, right? Like, I just want us to be a family together. And as a family together, there's some complexities that we need to navigate. And I want to help us and use Paul to help us think through as best as we can, where is the line, Right? So in order to process where's the line, I want us to ask three questions. I want us to ask three questions on where is the line that's going to help us. The first question is, what does the totality of Scripture say about blank? Uh, for, for the Corinthians, it was food offered to idols. For us, it's different things that we'll talk about in a second. But what, and not just, and here's why it's the totality of Scripture. Some people like it to pick and choose verses. Some people hear one verse and they're like, oh, look, this one verse and probably from um, uh, Leviticus, right? Hey, here's this one verse in Leviticus. You can't do this now, right? And you're like, oh, okay, but we need to look not just at one verse. We need to look at the totality of Scripture and Scripture as a whole. What does it say about this one very specific thing? Secondly, does blank, whatever this thing is, at this moment hinder my peace and my joy in Jesus? Does blank, whatever we may be processing, um, at this moment hinder my peace and my joy in Jesus? The the second question, um, we're not even asking on the sake of other people. We're just asking for ourselves. Because if we were to be honest, there's certain things. It's not even our brother or sister or friend or family member. It's us. And we know that I have a weak conscience in this area. So it doesn't matter what my friend, how they're processing. I just know for me, I'm going to live in my freedom for myself because I have a weak conscience. And I just need to be honest with myself that in my weak 
conscious, this thing that I'm participating in, it does not produce peace and joy in Jesus. It actually hinders the peace that I feel and the happiness and joy that I feel um, in Jesus. And then question three, does blank, as we'll talk about in a second, we'll get through some case studies, does blank at this moment hinder my friend's peace Enjoy in Jesus. So let's say for number two, we have a clear conscience. We're good to go. We don't feel weak. Um, we feel we have freedom in the area to do whatever we want to do. It's question three, okay, now and when I'm around other people, does blank at this moment hinder my friend's peace and joy in Jesus? Because then, that's what Paul would say, you want to limit your freedom to not cause your friend to stumble with their weak conscience. Okay, can we talk practical now? We're going to get some practical stuff. It's going to be helpful. Got some head nods. Ooh, you're like, is this heavy? Is this heavy? Y'all feeling okay? You're process- I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting some, uh, I'm, like, ooh, I'm, just, I'm getting like you're thinking. That's kind of the vibe that I'm getting right now is you're thinking. Okay, good. I like it. Okay, so now, so the first case study. Let's take the case study, which is not a case study, but an actual reality of Paul to the Corinthians. Let's take the first one, which is food offered to idols. Okay, we're going to work through these three questions. And we're going to answer food offered to idols. So the first question, what does the totality of Scripture say about food offered to idols? Well, we kind of read it. Don't worship idols. Stay away from idol worship. Okay, number two. So at this moment, does food offered to idols, does this hinder my peace and my joy in Jesus? And the answer is, it depends. Because Paul said, hey, look, eat meat, don't eat meat. But then he also says, hey, but don't eat meat if it's causing your brother to stumble. So here, for you, you just have to ask, um, if you were a Corinthian, um, does eating meat cause me to stumble, yes or no? And, just be, and be honest. For some, the answer is yes. For some, the answer is no. If the answer is yes, it hinders my peace and my joy in Jesus, he's saying to the Corinthians, then don't eat the meat. But he's saying, hey, if you have freedom to eat meat, then eat meat, right? And then question three, however, does eating meat offered to idols at this moment hinder my friends peace and joy in Jesus. And that's actually where it gets very interesting. Because, Paul, we didn't read this, but in chapter 10, you can look at it yourself if you want to. In chapter 10, he, t- he keeps this conversation going, and here's what he says. He says, for food offered to idols, whenever you go out, and you're out in public at a party, you're at a feast, don't eat meat. It's too confusing. People are going to think you're worshiping idols. When you're out in public, don't eat meat. Now, when you're in the privacy of your home, here's, it's interesting. If you're by yourself or with people and you know that every single person that you know does not, you're confirmed, does not have a weak conscience when it comes to eating meat idol, then you're free to eat meat, right? And if you go to the market and you want to buy meat, like don't think twice about it. Was it um, off to an idol? Maybe, maybe not. But you know this is not a weak area for you, so you have the freedom to eat meat if you want to in the privacy of your home. Now, what happens if you get invited to somewhere else, though, to somebody else's home? Here's what he says. It's very, y'all, it gets like real practical. It's awesome. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's like verses, it's like in the 30s, verses 20, 27 through 29. Here's what he says. If a non-Christian invites you to their home, and there is meat served, you eat the meat. You just eat the meat. And he talks about it more in chapter 10, to be all things to all people. So if a um, non-Christian presents meat to you, and you're in their home, you eat the meat. However, if they tell you, so interesting, if they tell you, hey, this meat has been sacrificed to an idol, then you don't eat it. And you're like, why? That sounds really weird. Why would I not eat the meat if you just said, do I eat the meat? And here's why. Because they, they're not Christians. They know you are a Christian. And they know that Christians live a certain way following Jesus. And they know Christians don't worship idols. And they know meat is sacrificed to an idol. So if they don't mention that it's been sacrificed to an idol, feel free to eat it. If they do mention that it's been sacrificed to an idol, then you don't eat it because you don't want to hinder their conscience on what it means to be a Christian. Does that make sense? So practical. It's, it's incredible. When I was doing uh, research the last few weeks. Uh, so if that's food offered to idols. Okay, let's go to a real one, though. Because I don't, that's, but y- y'all, y'all get the train of thought? You kind of tracking? Okay, let's go, we'll do a few more. Here's, here's the next one. Um, what about parties and celebrations, right? Parties and celebrations, right? So I know some of us, like Halloween's coming up. Um, for some other fall, things are coming up. Parties are coming up. And you're like, as a Christian, do I do this? And do I not do this? Do I go out? Do I not go out? Not just in the fall, but in other seasons, um, other parties, other celebrations. Um, do I do this? Do I not do this? And here's, so the totality of Scripture would say, and Paul would say, um, do not attend anywhere not we're just like they're sinners because everyone's a sinner outside of Jesus, but like where sin is being celebrated. You'll see the difference? 
Don't go, don't, as a Christian, don't attend anywhere, not where just sinners are present, because sinners are present everywhere, right? But like where sin is being celebrated, where it is the focal point of the gathering. Paul would say, don't go, right? And then now it's like, okay, well, that answers that. So now question two, at this moment, does it hinder my peace or my joy in Jesus? Um, it, it, it depends, right? Depending on, it. well, does the gathering, does the party, does the celebration, is sin being celebrated? No. Okay, well, then go to question two, right? Does the gathering going out, um, does it hinder my peace and my joy in Jesus? And then for three, okay, well, not me, but what about somebody else? What if, like, I just want to go out, I just love dancing, and I want to go out dancing, right? And I don't know, is sin being celebrated? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's, it's going to be wholesome, right? But like, you know that your friend, um, they, like, you want them to come with you or they want to go, but in their BC days, like, all they did was dancing, like, while and dancing, right? And, and then you're like, do I go or do I not go? And Paul would say, hey, you don't go because they have a weak, if, if they have, you talk to them, they have a weak conscience when it comes to dancing, because they associate dancing with their BC days. And then you notice, and you go out, right? And they act exactly as they acted before they became a Christian. There's no distinction. So Paul would say, hey, you limit yourself when it comes to parties and celebrations and going out. Okay, a, a, a few more. What about this? What about media and entertainment? Media and entertainment. Okay, so question one. Well, um, does media and entertainment, um, what does the totality of Scripture say about media and entertainment? It really doesn't, right? Like social media, nope. Okay, uh, movies, nope. Okay, uh, Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max, nope. Okay, the Bible doesn't really comment much on that, but it comments on other things about media. So then we go to question two, like, okay, well, what does uh, media entertainment at this moment hinder my peace and joy in Jesus? See, for some of us, we have to be really honest with this because it does. The media that we consume and the entertainment that we consume hinders our peace and our joy in Jesus, and we just need to be honest with that. For some of us, it doesn't. We have a lot of freedom, but for some things, it does, and we need to be honest, right? Because some people on social media, right, they're just, you get on Instagram, and they're like intentionally creating thirst traps. It goes both ways, not just guys and girls, like it goes both ways, intentionally creating thirst traps, right? And then you're there just scrolling on Instagram, and it just triggers something, and then you want to go deeper. And now you want to get off Instagram and go to other sites be, to be able to uh, fully lean into what had been triggered. You guys tracking with me? So you stay off social media because at this moment, maybe social media, you can add it in later. But at this moment, social media does not, um, it hinders your peace and your joy um, in Jesus. Right? Or what about this? Number three. What about like you're with a group of friends and you're trying to watch a movie, right? And you're like, man, that movie, uh, it has a lot of skin in it. There's a lot of skin in that movie, or maybe even like there's a lot of uh, crude laughter, crude joking, right? And you're like, oh, it's fine, it's funny, ha, 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 or like, no, it's completely fine to watch. Like, don't be, like, come on, stop being weird, let's just watch it. Paul would say, don't do that. You want to you go to the, if you're with a group of people and you're trying to find a movie, you want to go to the level of the weakest conscious person in the room, and the loving thing to do is now watch a movie that that person is comfortable with if you actually love them and want to spend time with them. Does it make sense? Okay, let's go with this. Okay, what about this one? Ooh, alcohol. You guys ready? Woo, <laughs> Woo yeah. Cheers. Woo, let's go. Okay, alcohol. Here, here's what the totality of Scripture says about alcohol. <laughs> here's what the totality of Scripture says about alcohol. It says, don't get drunk with wine. That's what it says. You're like, okay, so I can get drunk with other liquors? No. <laughs> yup. Don't, the, the scripture says, don't get drunk with wine, right? Don't drink to the point of drunkenness. Now, you're going to get differing opinions because, but really the differing opinions come not from question one, because question one is really clear. Question one says, don't be drunk with wine. We move on to question two now, and now where there's going to be some interpreting, um, some uh, room for interpretation. But what some people want to do is they will take their conscience and they will apply their conscience on you. So you take alcohol, and they're just like, no, I can't drink alcohol because I think it's sinful because, and we're like, whereas question one, the title of scripture, it's not sinful, but question two is huge because question two would say, um, does blank at this moment, does alcohol at this moment hinder my peace and joy in Jesus? And some people would say 100% all the time, yes, they feel that way. And some people feel that way, and then they have two options. Either they will 
just keep that to themselves or talk about it with their family and just never drink alcohol. So some people here at the table never drink alcohol. That's great, right? Why? Because it doesn't, because it hinders peace and joy in Jesus. But some people don't drink alcohol and then try to impose that rule on everybody else and say that everybody that drinks alcohol is sinful. Now, in most settings, as a Christian, we have to be aware, though. We have to be smart. Most of the mistakes in our life that we regret have come from alcohol. So we kind of get where they're coming from. The things that we regret in life have come from when we drank too much, right? So question two, we need to be honest with ourselves and say, hey, at this moment, can I drink or can I not drink, right? And that's the one that I would love for you to be able to process um, with, your, with your life groups, with your community groups, um, to be able to process that question first by yourself. And then question three is this, does alcohol at this moment hinder my friend's peace and joy in Jesus? It, and the answer is, for most of us, we don't know. We don't know what somebody's been through. We don't know somebody's story. We don't know that somebody would get blackout drunk all the time, even before they showed up on the table on Tuesdays. We don't know that. And then we're like, woo, we're going out. Let's go. Cheers. Let's drink's up. And we don't know what somebody's story is. And now somebody's really confused because now they're trying to follow Jesus. They're like, okay, well, this person, they've been at the table for a while. Okay, they seem to just drink. Okay, I'll just drink with them. Great. And now here they are back to syncretism to where they're, called, they're trying to be a Christian. And yet the way that they drink is no different as a Christian than it, than it was before they became a Christian. You guys tracking with me? We have to be so careful with alcohol, right? But again, going back to, let's talk through same principles as food offered to idols. Let's say a home gathering where um, it's, it's, everyone kind of knows where everybody's coming from, right? It's a different conversation versus just going out to where you're just like, woo! And like, you can't tell where the Christians are in the room because everyone's just doing the same thing. Okay, so we don't know where other people are. Okay, number four. Uh, sorry, number four. Okay, what about this? What about, uh, guys, you guys are loving this. I can see it on your faces. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> we're, we're, we're wrapping up here. <laughs> uh, lastly, lang- or not last, a co- just a couple more. Uh, language. Language. <laughs> uh-oh, uh-oh, language. And by that, I mean, you guys know where I'm going. Uh, uh, foul language, coarse language, cussing, cursing. Okay, where's the line? Here's a really, this is a really actual question. Y'all, I know I'm, I'm touching on some toes here. Where's the line when it comes to cussing, when it comes to language and the language that we use and don't use, and the different settings where we use different language? Okay, well, let's, the questions remain the same. Let's work through the questions. Number one, what does the totality of Scripture say about language? We could do a whole message on this. I'm not. I'm going to do 30 more seconds on this. What does the totality of Scripture say about language? It says this in Ephesians Um, Ephesians 4.29, it says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So here's here's what um, Paul's writing here too. He's saying, hey, look, the language that we use, don't think about it as like what I can and cannot say. Think about it as, or have the freedom saying, don't tell me what I can and can't say. Here's what Paul's saying. Hey, look, does the language that we use give grace? Does it build up those who hear it? That's what he's saying, right? As well as he's saying, hey, look, there's no way that we can have corrupting talk come out of our mouth when we're trying to build up that it may give grace to those who hear. So question two, okay, well, does the language that I use at this moment, if I'm just by myself or like with my BFF or whatever, my boyfriend, girlfriend, or my wife or spouse, does my language that I use at this moment hinder my peace and joy in Jesus? right? And here's um, the, the answer um, to that one is we need to be honest. Some of us, we've been using language, and we're just so desensitized to if it's actually um, hindering my peace and my joy in Jesus. Now, I'm not trying to bring shame. I know some of us are hearing this, you know, as you're processing this, and I'm just, I'm just asking a question. I'm not saying what you can't say, what you can't say. Um, I'm not saying one way or another. I'm not giving you a list of words you can and can't say. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, hey, look, take time if you feel convicted with this, take time to ask this question. Does language at this moment hinder my peace and my joy in Jesus? And then lastly, does language at this moment hinder my friend's peace and joy in Jesus? And does it lift up and give grace to those who hear it, right? All right, we're going to skip to... Uh, uh, where do I want to go? I had more, but I think we're, I want to kind of wrap up here. Okay, last, uh, last couple. All right, last couple. 
Um, goods and services. Slide, goods, goods and services. Okay, kind of what we were talking about earlier. It's kind of a, uh, uh, what does the totality of Scripture say about goods and services, right? We kind of made a joke earlier about Sheehan, about like child labor laws, and are they like, um, are they just like forcing children to work? Like, because there was like a t- viral TikTok video that came out that said like, help me! They were like writing on the receipts, like when people are receiving clothes, like for like fast fashion and that kind of thing. Or as well as some of us, we just feel, um, uh, we, fa- we feel a certain way whenever we buy from certain companies versus whenever we don't buy from certain companies. So here's what Scripture says in one, in one lens. It says, the laborer deserves his wages. The laborer deserves his wages. Okay. So along with that, right, and then it gives a lot of other just like character, character things, Scripture says. Uh, so for me, um, there, was a, I, there was a while I didn't use Uber. I didn't Uber. I, used, I still use, I used Lyft. I just didn't use Uber. Why? Because the CEO at the time, I just thought he had really bad character, and I just wasn't for what the company represented. It shifted now. I Uber now, although I tried Ubering now. It's really hard to get an Uber. You guys wear it? It takes like 45 minutes to get an Uber. You guys experience this? No? Yes? No? Okay. Uh, so, so for me, there are just, I had a weak conscience when it came to Uber, so I just chose to purchase from a different company, right? And then number, number three, um, does uh, goods and services um, at this moment um, hinder my friends' peace and joy in Jesus, right? So some, I have some really good friends that just love, love the environment, right? They just want to like, make sure that keep, make the world like, as beautiful as possible, right? And they feel very strong convictions about using paper straws, sorry, using plastic straws. So when I, if I were to go out with them to a restaurant, here's what I would do. I would, ref- because I love them, because they have a weak conscience, because they love the environment and want to see the world as beautiful as it can be, right? And they feel tension around plastic straws. Here's what I want to try to do. I'm just not going to use a plastic straw when I'm around them. Little, subtle, does it matter? Yeah. Paul says, hey, don't cause your brother to stumble, right? All right, and the last one, last one here. Um, physical romance. Physical romance. Okay, what does the totality of Scripture say about physical romance? Well, um, multiple times in Scripture, uh, it talks about impurity and it talks about fleeing sexual immorality, right? Okay, so now let's apply that. Okay, does physical romance at this moment hinder my peace and joy in Jesus? Does physical romance at this moment hinder my peace and joy in Jesus? And maybe you're single and going on dates. Uh, maybe you are in a dating relationship. Uh, maybe you're engaged, right? And you're really wrestling with this area. And maybe you've come up with things that you found helpful, like nothing below the neck. Like, hey, avoid bathing suit areas. Or we've said this before in our uh, modern romance series. Hey, if your body is preparing itself for sex, it's time to stop. Right? So that with that sort of like, hey, what do I need for myself when it comes to physical romance to hinder my peace? But question three, okay, well, what does physical romance at this moment um, hinder my friends' peace and joy in Jesus? So I would say a couple things. One, um, the person that you're being physically romantic with, what's their story? Does physical romance cause them to have all these emotions in them that they can't control? Then I would say you want to limit your freedom— even if you don't find it sinful, you want to limit your freedom because you love the person. Well, I wouldn't, depending on the context, I wouldn't tell them, hey, I love you. That'd be weird. But like you, you care. You love them in, the, in the, the, the agape love, the biblical sense. You love this person like we love everybody. So you want to limit your freedoms to not cause them to stumble. That's the loving thing to do. And not pressure them to do things that they're not comfortable with, that they want to, they want to keep going. You guys tracking with me? Also, in public, you don't know somebody's story, and you don't know if they feel like they're single, and they just have such a hard time being single, right? And then they see all these couples, and then they see a couple, like, here at the table, and the couple at the table's like, eh, like, all over each other, right? And they're like, oh, my gosh, everywhere that I go, and then they leave because they feel uncomfortable. Don't do that. PDA, right? Limit it. Limit your freedoms. What? I got clapping over here. <laughs> like, yeah, stop it. Woo! You want to limit, limit your, right? Because then, like, and I've been in that relationship too where I'm like, they just need to get over it. I'm holding hands. I'm hugging. I'm snuggling. I'm doing whatever I want to do, right? And here, Paul would say, you want to limit your freedoms. Why? Because you love your friend and you don't want to create anything that's going to be a stumbling block for somebody, um, for somebody's peace and joy in Jesus. Is that okay? Okay. So the question is, where's the line? 
Where's the line? And as you can see, the answer is, well, it depends, but here's, what, here's how we process this, right? It's because loving your friend means, at times, limiting your freedom. So here's one. I know I've been long-winded here, but I just, this has been on my heart. And I want to be helpful for you guys. Um, here's, here's my heart. Is that our table family, our young adult family here at First Orlando, that we would be a place where we have no problem limiting our freedom. Why? So somebody can experience peace and joy in Jesus. And we will stop doing whatever we need to stop doing. Why? Because we love people, right? And we want to die to ourselves and die to our preferences and die to the things that we want to do out of love for other people. And that way, whenever people, other people hang out with you here, not here, wherever you may be, they say this about you. They say, man, they are such a loving person. Hey, I, they know that I'm weak in this area, and I know, they know, I know that they refrain their freedoms when they're with me out of love because this is what I need right now in this moment, and this is what they do. And I want, I want that for you more than anything, for you to be a person that is so Christ-centered and so godly that you have no problem limiting your freedoms when you're interacting with other people, and you experience so much joy and peace, not in exercising your freedom, but just in who Jesus is and what he's asking you to do in that moment. So here's the, the we're going to end with these two reflection questions, is one, where do I need to limit my freedoms for my own weaknesses? Where do I need to limit my own freedoms, limit my freedoms for my own weaknesses is the first question. And the second reflection question is this, where do I need to limit my freedoms for my friend's weaknesses? Question one, where do I need to limit my freedoms for my own weaknesses? And question two, where do I need to limit my freedoms for my friend's weaknesses? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, but then you guys can stay seating. And really, we'll you're just going to take a few minutes um, as the band's kind of getting set up and preparing. We'll play um, where you can just reflect on these questions and be honest with yourself and ask these questions. Hey, where do I, I just know me. Where do I need to limit my freedoms for myself as well as I know my friend? How do I need to limit my freedoms to love my friend? Pray for us. Father, we thank you. Father, we love you. God, I'm so grateful just for this table family that we have, and we can just have um, just conversations that, are, that, we, that hit us in different ways, God, that we enjoy, that we get frustrated, that we wrestle with, God. And I pray that you can just illuminate our hearts. God, and I pray that we don't feel any shame. God, I pray against any shame that we may feel for how we may be living how we want to live, God, but I feel that there is just so much grace, God, and that today... We have an opportunity, God, to be spirit-filled, grace-filled, to live how you want us to live, not feel shame for anything we've done in the past, God. But right now, in this moment, if we're following you, God, if we're not following you, God, I pray that those of us that don't know you, God, you awaken the hearts of our people that don't know you, God, so they can see your beauty for the first time and want the peace and the joy that you give. And for those of us, God, that, are, that are, have been following you for, for a little while, for just a little bit or for a long time, God, that you just fill us with so much grace to move forward in what you're calling us to do, God. And you, we feel your love from you, and we feel your love from our friends. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.